that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in It's a Market Down Monday. Welcome back to Buckeye Talks. Even me is Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. We're not actually marking anything down because it's January, and so there's nothing to mark down. Instead, we're going to hold ourselves accountable. We like to hold this team accountable all year long. We have to do the same thing with ourselves. Before the year, every season, we predict a bunch of stuff to happen, and we're wrong a lot. And we're going to be super wrong this time around, Nathan. When you look back on some of the stuff that you predicted about this team and then you saw how this season actually played out, just off the top of your head, how many things went the way you thought they would go? On defense, I think a lot of things went the way I thought they would go. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in terms of like individual, but I think even some of those were pretty close. Some of those individual um, predictions we made. This defense lived Mm -hmm. up to what were like cautiously high expectations, and I would actually say surpassed them before the season. On offense, we were probably way off on a lot of things. I know we were way off on a couple things statistically. Now, some of those things were because we don't make predictions at the start of the year and say, well, I only think Emekabuka is going to play eight games, so this is what I'm predicting for him. You know what I mean? Like We don't really – you're usually factoring it in saying, maybe if it's a guy with an injury history, you back it off a little bit. But mostly, like someone like him, you're saying, well, here's what I think you'll do over 13, 14 games or whatever. And it's a, it's a nice big number. And you don't know how that injury is going to affect him. You don't know what's going to happen with Mayan Williams and and the way some other things played out in the backfield. You know, we were making we were making these so early that when we get to the passing stats leader prediction, we were just picking Ohio State's starting quarterback. We were not named. We yep. didn't go by the name of anybody. So. Just keep that in mind. This isn't even all statistical predictions. There's, there's some other things involved here. But uh-huh. I think pretty good on defense. I think we had an inkling that this defense was coming into a moment, and then it had that moment. On offense, no. Things did not go quite how we thought they might. Andrew, you were a baby on the beat. Literally, you had been on the beat for all of 72 hours. And that's not true with all of these, but you had not been on the beat very long when we were asking you to make all these decisions about the team. I was listening back to all these pods for the last couple of days because I wanted to get the stats, but also just to hear how we were talking about things in context. And so many times you went, I'm just going to give out something, and I hope it's close to what Steven and Nathan do, so that way I don't look dumb. How are you feeling well, about what you're going to hear about some with you whether that's a good <laughs> yeah. policy? So, have you guys ever like watched like a home video of yourself when you were a kid, yes. and everybody's like ooing and aahing, and you're like, "Oh, this is really embarrassing." That's what I feel like is about to happen. I knew Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to be good, so that's a that's a check. I think. Oh, good um, job. Really? Yeah. That's a hot take. I, uh, and then I remember yeah. I said something good about Josh Proctor that you guys laughed at, and Josh Proctor had a really good year, so that was good. But um, yeah, I remember we were doing some of these pods, and I remember thinking to myself, the only thing that I could do is watch old YouTube clips and read stories, because I had, like, Ohio State had only, what, well, they only have, like, two fall practices that were open, I think, to the media, mm-hmm. so... I think I had seen like some of these, like some of these answers. I had seen dudes play football for like an hour and a half. And then then I was betting on what it was going to (laughs) be. So I remember just, I I want, I want this to be clear. uh, And Steven, I hope you got a good chuckle out of some of this as I was talking. And I'm sure you did. The fear in my voice 
I hope I sound a little oh, yeah. more confident than I did in August. The just I swear to God, it was pure fear and anxiety that I was feeling on these podcasts. I was miserable on those first couple of pods because I was terrified of saying something outrageously stupid. And guess what? I 100% did. Cool, because now you get to live all that anxiety out yep. one more time. Yep. So we're going to split this up into three. We basically have always done this in three different categories, and that's how we're going to do this in these three sections. There's the statistical predictions that we make. There's the accolades, so that stuff like the Heisman, All-American stuff. And then there's the postseason, so college football playoff, national championships type stuff. We're going to start with the statistical stuff first. <laughs> They're so bad. They're so bad. First and foremost, I will throw this out here. We drive the bus every year as well. I drove the bus for Travion Henderson. Nathan drove the bus for Jordan Hancock. And Andrew drove the bus for Sonny Styles. I think we all did a decent job driving the bus this year for the most part. Like, all those guys had quality years to different levels. But kudos to us. Let's pat ourselves on the back first before we get into the negatives. First stat, over, under. 7.25 yards per play for the offense. Nathan and Andrew both picked under, but when I listened back to the podcast on the reasons they picked under, I don't think anybody thought under would mean 6.37 yards per play for this offense this year. That's like significantly under 7.25. I was the yeah. only one who said over because that's where we had seen this offense be. I think we were all saying at least they'd be around seven. It's one thing to be under, Nathan. It's another thing to be drastically lower than even your expectations were. You know, 7.25 I thought was a fair number because, I mean, the last two years, 2022, Ohio State led the country 7.28. 2021, they were even higher. They were almost eight yards a play, 7.96. Um, and even in 2020, 7.29. Uh, 2019, they were, I think they were a little lower that year, 6.94, but you're right around seven. And I thought 7.25 was fair with, with all of the talent that they had coming back at various positions, even with the, the quarterback change. And then to fall off to that extent, uh, to, to be, you know, a, a full, you know, almost a full yard off of where they were last year. I think is a surprise and it tells you a lot about the season. Like Ohio State led the nation in yards per play the previous two years and it was 25th this year. Now, leading the nation in yards per play doesn't guarantee you anything because this year's leader in yards per play and it was not by a close margin was LSU, 8.4 yards per play. But LSU was far from a complete team and I don't think Ohio State would have traded places with them. I think Ohio State liked its the bulk of its team, the totality of its team, better than what LSU had. USC was third. Again, Ohio State, a better team top to bottom than USC. USC 7.39. Georgia, or Oregon, I'm sorry, was the team in the middle of that and was almost a playoff team. But you see what I'm saying here, that it, it, not leading the nation in, in yards per play, I don't think was the problem for Ohio State, but it was the degree to which it fell off. If, if they had missed 7.25, but still averaged around seven yards per play. You're talking about a half yard per play more. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but it's significant over the course of a year. It tells you a lot about an offense over the course of a year. And I think that that number almost is, in a nutshell, why Ohio State was just not quite, couldn't quite get there. Like all those elements that we talked about potentially being there for this team were, some of them were absolutely there. Again, with the defense being better than I think even we expected, and then on the offensive side of the ball, some of this is some of this is is Trevin Henderson was hurt, Emeka Buka was hurt. That cost them yards, I understand, but just in the totality of the performance, that drop tells you a lot about why Ohio State was 
having a terrible Cotton Bowl as opposed to playing in a playoff game. I think what's crazy is they still led the Big Ten by almost a whole tenth of a yard. So it's yeah. just that that just shows you how over the past couple of years how much of a gap there's been between Ohio State's offense and literally every Big Ten offense in the and, and out there. And I wonder how much that's going to change with Oregon and Washington and UCLA and USC coming to the conference next year, Andrew. And this is Ohio State's offense has just been night and day better than be, basically any offense in the Big Ten. And now that might not be so true when you add these extra teams from the West Coast. Well, yeah, the the number two team in the, in the country in terms of yards per play is Oregon. Um, you know, I understand they weren't anywhere close to LSU, but Oregon was still comfortably second. Uh, they had 7.82 yards per play and USC was third at 7.39 yards per play. I understand that they're losing their quarterbacks. Um, Bo Nix is probably not as big of a loss as Caleb Williams is. But that still matters, right? Uh, Washington, he uh, Washington was eighth, and and Penix was at um, was their quarterback, and he's gone, but still had seven point zero four yards per play. So you got Washington, you've got USC, and you've got Oregon coming into the conference, and those were top ten offenses in terms of yards per play, right? Now, with that said, do I think Oregon and USC and Washington will fare as well? considering that one or two of those extra games that they're going to have to play are Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. No, I, I think that those it's fair to assume those numbers are going to go down. I am curious to see how they do against like Big Ten West teams like Iowa and Wisconsin and Nebraska, uh, you know, schools that like look good, his, like historically defensively. Uh, but the what you know, the forward pass hasn't been introduced in the Big Ten West yet. So like I'm curious to see like how that kind of mentality and that thing kind of shakes out. But the offenses are objectively getting better in the Big Ten. And like we talked about this with the quarterback conversation a couple of weeks ago. For years you could just kind of mark down Ohio State's quarterback as being the best in the Big Ten. Well you couldn't this year. And for as much as you might say, ah oh, well this year was a one off, like if the Big Ten had mo- had merged this year. You would have had Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, UCLA's quarterback situation was kind of a mess with Dante Moore and a couple other guys that they were trotting out there. But like those were like three guys who at one point or another were genuine Heisman Trophy candidates. Like Caleb Williams was a signet was like the Heisman favorite up until uh, USC played Notre Dame, and then he just kind of fell off the map as USC did. And then Penix and Knicks were finalists for the for the Heisman. So this this notion that Ohio State's offense is like the best in the Big Ten or above reproach at quarterback or anywhere else, that's got to go away because the, the offenses that are coming into this conference are really, really good. So we're not going to spend 10 minutes talking about every single one of these categories because some of them are easily explainable for why they were so low. Like Ameka Buka, we did his yards this year. He had 515 yards. I predicted him to have 1,360 yards. Nathan, you predicted him to have 1,323. And Andrew, you predicted him to have 1,250. Maybe he doesn't get up to those numbers, but he's probably closer to 900, 1,000 yards if he doesn't miss a good chunk of the season with an ankle injury. So there's that one. Mayan Williams, we all, I predicted him to have 119 carries. Nathan, you predicted him to have 117 carries. Andrew, you predicted him to have 116 carries. And that was in a world where we thought he was a number two running back. But a combination of, he randomly ended up being number three in their hierarchy, which nobody saw coming, Chip Tranum taking his role, but also him dealing with an injury and being out for basically the whole second half of the season as well. So those two are explainable. 
It's not that bad, Andrew. I promise you. No, All of I know, them are not but that when bad. You said, when you said 119, I'm lo- I have the stats up on the second part of my screen, and you said 119, and mm-hmm. I, my eyes immediately drifted to yards, which was 158. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> there was like a second where I was wait, thinking what? to myself. I was like, we were actually really on. Cl- we were really close here. Nope. Oh, he had 158 yards, tough. and we were betting on 120 carries. Yeah. He had 49 carries this year. There are a couple I do want to get into, though. Obviously, we'll start with the quarterbacks, Nathan. I predicted whoever Ohio State starting quarterback to be at that time, we had decided we were just going to say whoever won the job because we didn't want to mark down who we wanted to win yet. I said 4,168 passing yards and 42 touchdowns. You said 3,668 yards and 38 touchdowns. Andrew said 3,575 yards and 39 touchdowns. If you combine Kyle McCord, Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz's complete total stats is 3,498 yards and 26 touchdowns. So even combined, the quarterback play did not meet the standard that we all thought they would meet. And does your math change going forward? Because it's un- it's we get why we were there. We were coming off of Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields for two years, CJ Stroud for two years, and the standard had just become. 3,500 yards and 40 touchdowns. Like that's your kind of your base level. And that didn't happen with Kyle McCord. And we didn't get a chance to really get a good look at Devin Brown this year. And Lincoln Keenholz was put in a position he had no business being in. And now Will, Will Howard is in the room who didn't match that either. It's not like he did that at Kansas State. Do you have to adjust your math for maybe when we do this next summer about what you think the statistics could look like for Ohio State starting quarter? Well, I think you absolutely have to adjust it for that individual player. And in this case, you know, Will Howard, if that's him, or I think even if it's Devin Brown, if he were to, to beat out Will Howard, then you have to take into account how they'll be used in the offense. I think what was tricky for us was with McCord, we knew it was not going to be C.J. Stroud. We, we should have known it was not going to be C.J. Stroud. We certainly talked about it that way. What was a little bit hard maybe to reconcile was because he had a little bit more mobility, at least we thought than Stroud, would they use more of that? How much was it going to hurt him do with this offensive line? Like there were a lot of things that were hard to predict. We obviously were a smidge too optimistic. However, I will say that if McCord, if they had beaten Michigan, then McCord plays at least two more games and including, you know, Big Ten Championship, presumably beating Iowa and then playing at least one playoff game. And there he, after that, he's probably over 3,500 yards, certainly nowhere near where he's supposed to be on touchdowns though. And that's, I think, maybe the biggest, like the yardage is whatever. Yardage can be a very hard thing to try to gauge, especially when you have nothing by that individual player to base it on. The touchdowns are really the thing that really drifted from where we expected Ohio State to be. And I think that was a combination of how this offense started slow in some games and just didn't put drives together early that we're used to them making, you know, having some, some quick strikes and getting out on teams early. That was not a hallmark of this offense. And some of that was common court having some slow starts to games. And I think it was just a lack of explosiveness overall from the offense that not a, not an absence of explosiveness, but a decrease in explosiveness. You just didn't see as many of the big touchdown plays, especially in the passing game, that we'd become accustomed to with Fields and Stroud and and Hawk and, and Haskins before that. Andrew, how did this season impact the way you might 
view what's potentially possible for next year's starting quarterback. Well, it it certainly makes you kind of take maybe a closer look at some things that could go wrong. Because I think when we did this, at least for me, you know, one of the things that I was looking at was, okay, Kyle McCord might not be CJ Stroud, but even if Kyle McCord's not that great, you know, you can still work around it because the receivers are great. Or even if the offensive line isn't that great, it's an Ohio State quarterback. Kyle McCord's probably going to be really good. And I think you could kind of talk yourself into if even if one thing goes wrong, you can figure it out, right? You know, hey, if the offensive line's really bad, which I don't think the offensive line was good this year, I'm sure Kyle McCord's going to be really good. That's the history of this room, right? You know, we've we've grown accustomed to that. The quarterback's going to be really good. And the receivers are obviously NFL quality. Emeka's obviously going to the NFL after this year. So is Marv. And Julian Fleming's a great third option. Like, I think you can kind of look at it and say, wow, bang, 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 just right down the line. And you're feeling great about all these things. And you're like, ah, even if one or two of these things goes awry, it's not going to be a problem. Well, the problem is multiple things went wrong. You know, you had some injuries, which again, we didn't really account for. But the receivers were not really able to get their numbers because the quarterback play wasn't what you wanted and the offensive line play wasn't what you wanted. And Trevin Henderson was hurt and, you know, the run game was pretty bad, pretty miserable, frankly, for the first like six or seven weeks of the season. Like there were just a lot of compounding things. And I think that that's kind of what I took from this and in this exercise is that it's okay to look at it and see a couple of issues and bring those up. You just got to think a little bit harder about how those issues can compound on one another because it's a snowball effect. The offensive line's not great. You know, if the offensive line was better, I mean, does the running game does the running game look better statistically? Does the passing game look better statistically? Yeah. Like if Kyle McCord was better, does the do the receiver stats look better? Does the offensive line look better? Yeah. It's just all of these issues kind of came on one another, and I think that that was the big problem, and and that's something you got to take account for. I think for me, a lot of my numbers had nothing to do with who the quarterback was and more about the faith I had in Ohio State's passing game that I've been watching for six years. And I mean, death taxes, Ohio State's passing game. That's just where I was at with it, where I don't know, all these other things, we'll see. Maybe the running game will be better. We're optimistic that the defense will be better, but we know the passing game is going to be awesome. Look at Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming, Kate Stover, Travion Henderson can help in the passing game. Kyle McCord doesn't have to do much. Just get the ball to guys in space. Simple one, two, three, and we're out of here. And my biggest worry for me is we get to next summer and I overreact the other way and go like, oh, well, now they're just going to live in the 20s and not it's not going to be great anymore. And I, I think for me, it's just finding that middle ground going forward because maybe it, I, I wrote this a couple of times this year that Ohio State had lost its superpower. The passing game had been its superpower for six years. Based, since 2018, Ohio State's passing game had been a superpower, and it wasn't this year. And whether it was maybe Kyle McCord wasn't quite up to the standard or the offensive line got in the way of that or if it was injuries or whatever it was, the thing that was supposed to be the reason why Ohio State's a national championship contender was not that anymore. And as a result, you get a situation where we all predict numbers where if you combine all three quarterbacks, it still doesn't work out that way. Travion Henderson, rushing yards. I said 1304. Nathan, you said 1310. Andrew, you said 1146. He had 926. I'm going to give everybody a reprieve for that one because especially when he got back in the second half of the season, he was playing like a guy capable of getting those numbers. But he missed a good chunk of the year, plus you lose the Michigan. 
Plus, like the Cotton Bowl was kind of a crapshoot from a run game perspective. I think it got in the way of the counting numbers, but I think the impact, Nathan, of a guy who could be a thousand yard running back for you was still felt from Travion Henderson. Yeah, I, you know, we could prorate those numbers over whatever the eight yeah. games that he ended up playing, and are they pretty? They're probably even better, right? Like than mm-hmm. they would have been under. It's probably about. It's probably about the same. We were averaging like we were guessing probably around 100 yards a game if on a 13 game season, and um, Andrew I think it was a little bit lower than that. So when he played, the impact was I would actually say, even though those numbers are wrong, I think when we what we actually saw in person from him from the second half was probably better than what we would have predicted him being this year, mm-hmm. or it's it's like the best version maybe of what we had suspected we might see from him this year, right? Like we'd heard rumblings. He was looking good in camp, all those things. But that second half of the year was really enticing. And as we were, we were recording this as of, we should tell people recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So we probably should, shouldn't even mention what 2024 means for like any of these players. Cause no. the, we're putting this out on no. Monday morning. The deadline is Monday morning. So who knows what you'll have known at this point about Trevor Henderson's future. But if he were to come back, it's 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 super enticing because of what he showed down the stretch and then now adding with, with Quinch on Judkins. Okay, so a couple of others. Marvin Harrison Jr., Nathan, you said he was going to have 1,637 yards. Our former colleague, Doug, when he was with us, Andrew, you didn't get a chance to do this, so he's going to replace you here, said 1,680. I said 1,447, and but a lot of that was because of my number where Mecca Abuka was just as high as Marvin Harrison Jr.'s was. I'm pretty sure we all did that with Ohio State football making the playoff because he would have for sure <laughs> gotten up there with, especially the way they were using him, but didn't get there because they lost to Michigan. So obviously that was his last game. He only played 12 games for Ohio State this year. Julian Fleming, I said he'd have 50 catches. Nathan, you said he'd have 42. Andrew, you said he'd have 45. Only 26 catches for. 270 yards and no touchdowns. And that kind of goes into what we were talking about with the passing game, Andrew. It's it's just, it seemed like he was hurt the most from the passing game, not necessarily living up to the standard that we had seen in most years. You could support Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously, because it, we joked about this all the time. It's just throw it up to Marv and he'll catch it. Um, you could support Cade Stover. I mean, Cade Stover getting 576. I don't think you, I, I don't think that this offense or Kyle McCord or this offensive line kind of uh, all in one, I think just kind of bundle that together and say that none of that could support, you know, anybody getting a third or fourth receiver involved. And I think that that was the problem. That's where Julian Fleming was. And, you know, had this offense had CJ Stroud, yeah, Julian Fleming's numbers would have looked a lot better because CJ Stroud is objectively a better quarterback and, you know, is obviously doing great things in the NFL right now. And you just look at those numbers and are like, wow, if you can spread that ball around a little bit, yeah, Marv might might still be around, you know, 1,300, which by the way, I would have predicted Marv to have 1,211 yards. So just, I want that on the record that I would have been right about Marvin Harrison Jr. Exactly. Um, but I think that you just couldn't, re- I just think that you can't, support a three or four in that offense and that's what julian was and and that's kind of why julian kind of fell by the wayside it felt like a lot this year you know he didn't have a touchdown and i mean it just the 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 options for ohio state's pass game were not so diverse to get julian from but it wasn't that long ago that ohio state could have an offense where you know jackson smith and jigba 
was the third option in the offense, but went for 1,606 yeah. yards. And it was just that prolific. And, and and they only played 13 games that year. Now, he did get boosted by the huge game in the Rose Bowl and everything. But but still, you had three guys who were at or near 1,000 yards. And to to have it turn out this way was a little bit surprising. I think if you had told us when we were making that prediction, if we had been like someone could see the future, someone had been to the future and come back and said, okay, well, what do you guys predict? And then I'll tell you what actually happens. And we had told us that it was only going to be uh, 24, 26 catches or whatever it was. I think we would have mm-hmm. assumed that that meant that Fleming had injury problems again. Yeah. That for some reason he didn't play as much. But this was the healthiest he's ever been. He made it through an entire season fully healthy as far as we know. There That's were no true. games missed. He was out there every game. So, uh, except the 13th. He didn't play the 13th game because he had already entered the transfer portal. But those first 12, he was there for all of them. And it just seemed like the connection wasn't there with McCord uh, ever, kind of. That, you know, um, a lot of times McCord was very, uh, was looking for Marvin pretty quickly. And that reduced the amount of targets that were going elsewhere. I think that would, you could go back and watch games and that would hold up. So that I think was part of this, that it just, that, that connection, that, especially that position, that kind of down the field over the top position was, was the one that was the least productive, suffered the most because we, we still saw, and you'll get to this in a second, a pretty really productive year from Kate Stover. Kate Stover became the, the number three receiver in all respects. It's going to be interesting watching Julian Fleming at Penn State next season, which he, whereas he transferred to get 533 yards last year on 32, 34 catches. So only eight less catches, but obviously the production was not near there. And Penn State just like didn't have a single wide receiver last year. So he's stepping into that room as wide receiver one. So when Ohio State goes to Penn State, they'll be facing Julian Fleming. I do think. I don't think anybody's ever going to repeat what Jamison Williams did when he went to Alabama. Just like I don't think anybody's going to repeat what Joe Burrow did when he left for LSU. But like that idea of our wide receiver room is so good that we have threes and fours on our hierarchy who can go to other programs, step in as our wide receiver ones, and have at least all conference level play. We haven't seen that since Jamison Williams. I think Julian Fleming, just because of his experience and that recruiting pedigree, which I know it matters a lot less when you're talking about a year five guy than a year one guy, but I do think he's set up to potentially have an 1,000-yard level season just because Penn State doesn't necessarily have any other weapons. You brought up Kate Stover. This is what we're going to call the pat yourself on the back section of the offense. (laughs) Nathan, you get one, and then Andrew and I get one. You get Kate Stover. Kate Stover had 41 catches this year. Nathan said he would have 39 catches this year. I said he would have 28, and Andrew said 29. So Nathan saw what he did in 2022, admitted he was wrong about how he predicted him that year, and then said, you know what? I'm going to overcorrect, and it worked out in your favor. So pat yourself on the back, Mr. Barry. Uh, and he missed a game. And he missed a game. That's actually only in 12 games. So if he had been able to play at Rutgers, I don't know. I think I might have been dead on. Okay, so there's that one. And then, Andrew, we get to pat ourselves on the back. We did who we thought would be fourth amongst the wide receivers and catches. Number one was obviously Marvin Harrison Jr. Number two was Emeka Abuka. Number three was Cade Stover. In fact, number two A and two B were uh, Emeka Abuka and Cade Stover. Both had 41 catches. Number three, Julian Fleming. Carnell Tate. Number four, amongst wide receivers and catches, he had 18 catches for 264 yards and a touchdown. He was actually sixth overall 
just period on the team behind Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka Cage over Julian Fleming and then Travion Henderson, who had 19. Nathan, you picked Xavier Johnson, who had 13 catches, but he had 41 touches, which was tied for Cade Stover. So, Andrew, pat yourself on the back for getting that right about a freshman. I'm patting myself on the back for those that are not watching. Podcasting is an audio medium. So last offensive thing we're going to talk about before we take a break and then we – no, not take a break. But last offensive thing before we switch over to the defensive side. Dallin Hayden. <laughs> Dallin Hayden in 2022 had 111 carries for 553 yards and five touchdowns, Nathan. And so because that happened, because we know the history of this room with some of the injuries they've suffered, one of which came to pass with Mayan Williams missing some game, missing the second half of the season. We thought over under on Dallin Hayden, 100 carries in 2023. And it made perfect sense. We all, I said uh, over, you said over, Andrew said under, and Dallin Hayden had 19 carries all season. We obviously, at that point, were not privy at all to this redshirt concept for him. And it's one of those things where, in retrospect, Ryan Day was going out of his way at times to talk about Chip Trainum in the offseason. And maybe in a vacuum, he was just praising Chip Trainum. Or maybe he was mm-hmm. sort of trying to telegraph to us that you need to stop talking so much about Talon Hayden. We're not going to come right out and say it, but he may not have a big role this year. And the way that they decided to do this and and make him a, a red shirt candidate and follow through on that was surprising. And I think at times when you watch the play on the field, it was even more surprising. And his future is you know very intriguing, obviously, right now. Because if Trevin Henderson comes back and Quinshawn Judkins is, is coming in here now also, we just had a long pod the other day, a long pod segment about how those two guys trying to find enough carries for both of those guys to be the productive back that they mm-hmm. want to be. I don't know what you do with Dallin Hayden. All right, let's switch over the defense. That was weird. It, it, this, this was weird here for Dallin Hayden. It's, it's just weird. Andrew, the over under that was set, for yards per play allowed by the defense for the 2023 season was 4.17. All of us picked under, and we were all correct in that picking. Does this defense live up to the expectation and maybe the way you thought they would perform this year? The defense surpassed my expectations because for them to be third in the country was probably a little bit higher than you thought that they were going to end up. However, It was more the fact that this was a defense that just straight up carried the team all year. And that was where my expectations got kind of blown away, I think, because I think you could talk yourself into and you didn't really need much talking yourself into this defense being really, really, really good. And they were and they were really good. But the problem with the the problem is we just kind of discussed on the offensive side of the ball was that this had been an offensive driven team for so long that I don't think anybody any of us any of the fans really kind of saw this offensive drop coming like Ohio State won with 23 points at Indiana they won with 17 points at Notre Dame they won with was it 20 points against Penn State 24 at Wisconsin and in every single one of those games the defense made stops that just were in retrospect absolutely massive and and those were kind of the things that really surpassed my expectations because not only was this defense really good 
this defense was the reason Ohio State got to the Michigan game 11 and 0. You know, if this defense was not as good as it was, you could make the argument that Ohio State loses to Notre Dame or to Penn State if this defense was just not as good as it was because maybe Penn State's offense gets a little bit going, um, you know, maybe Notre Dame gets that extra score or whatever and like, there were just moments throughout the year where this defense just absolutely put this team on its back and you saw the results even against Michigan you know a, a team as good as Michigan uh Ohio State allowed 30 but seven of those points came when starting quarterback Comacord threw a interception it was like his own five yard line 10 yard line whatever it was like it just gave Michigan a short field and they scored on it and it took them a while to score on it like if, if memory serves like it was like third or fourth down and they had to score on a sneak so like this defense was really good all year and that's what surpassed my expectations maybe not so much the stats so quick was that they did the stats while being the reason why Ohio State was so good this year. So quick correction before you go, Nathan. The, the over-under was five. I read the, oh. the actual stat. I just had some things mixed up in my notes. So the over-under was put at five, and we all said under, and they did end up under. Nathan, the thing I want to ask you is we're still expecting some pieces to, to make. As of we're recording this on Wednesday, maybe they've made those decisions between the time we record this pod and when people actually hear it on Monday, but we're still expecting some of those pieces to potentially – to figure out whether or not they're going to be coming back or not with Jordan Hancock and JT Twimaloa. But there's enough guys who have already decided to opt in. What does, can we expect Ohio State's defense to repeat a performance like this next season? Oh, I would expect them to surpass this performance next year. Mm. Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you? Now, there are some, still some caveats. If I'll say that if JT Twimaloa and Jordan Hancock both also come back, I would expect this defense to be even better in 2024. I think then you're talking, then maybe next year we should probably set this number at 4.0. Do they allow Mm. under four yards per play? And because this past year I set that number at 5.0 because I think there were like 20, like exactly 20 or 21 teams that allowed 5.0 per play this year. Last year it was 22. The year before that it was 15, I think. So it was basically a shorthand for like, are they going to have like a top 15, 20 ish defense? And as Andrew's alluding to, we thought at the time, like, that's all they have to get to. If they get to top 15 or 20 with as potent as an Ohio State offense is, there's your championship, right? You are just you can just take care of it there. And that is not at all how things turned out. The defense was even like in a, a, a power of 10 or whatever better than that. Uh, it was really the best case, probably surpassed the best case that we were thinking of in terms of how it limited teams. The fact that it didn't give up more than two touchdowns in any game until Michigan. The fact that it did, it was holding teams under four yards per play, I think, until those last couple games. Like, it it was it was elite. It was, became an elite defense again. And if they get everybody back, and as of the time we're recording this, they we don't know yet about Tua Malowau and Hancock. We probably will know by the time you're listening to this. Certainly, if those guys come back, too, and you've run back this whole thing except for Mike Hall, then, and, and the seniors who were leaving, then it could be really special again. I think you could be talking about a 2019 type of performance again. 2019, they led the nation. Uh, and it was actually, that was 4.13 yards per play. So, but that also did get a little bit, I think, elevated with, with some games late game. in that season. So um, still like that, it was, I would expect it to be right in that neighborhood again, because every element that the most crucial elements will be back. I think they can approximate the performance at linebacker at least. And and then everything else is 
essentially a returning starter, right? And you're breaking in one new starter at safety. Um, but if without Tumaloao, without Hancock, either one or especially both, that will be more difficult. Maybe we should temper expectations a little bit, but it should still be, I think, still be in the same ballpark. I would still be, I would still maybe next year when we do this, I think maybe 4.0 is probably the number we should work off of. That'd be a fun conversation in six months. A couple more defensive stats. Sack leader. I picked Jack Sawyer to lead at 9.5. Doug, our former colleague, picked Kenyatta Jackson to have seven sacks this year. He did not have seven sacks this year. And then Nathan picked Jack Sawyer to have seven sacks. Well, pat yourself on the back again, Nathan. Jack Sawyer was six and a half sacks. He was not leading this team in sacks before the Cotton Bowl. So Jack Sawyer using the Cotton Bowl to backdoor his way into making Nathan and I write about who would lead this team in sacks. Tackles, we all – I. We all picked Tommy Eichenberg to go over 100 tackles. This is When I say we all, I mean myself, Nathan, and Doug to do so. He did not go over 100 tackles, but also he missed a couple of games. Uh, he, he definitely missed the Cotton Bowl. I think he missed the week before the Michigan game as well. And so missing those two games allowed Steel Chambers to basically get an assisted tackle more. So he had 83 tackles while Tommy Eichenberg only had 82. Interceptions, the over-under was at 12 and a half, Nathan. Myself, you, and Andrew all said over. They were not over. They only had seven interceptions, which was still last in the Big Ten. But it definitely felt different this year because the cornerbacks were getting in on the picks, whether it was Denzel Burke or Jordan Hancock. So, I, yes, they were under from that standpoint, but I think the secondary still made its point. And what, and, and when, what we were trying to say is the secondary was going to be better. There's one last thing I want to discuss statistically, and then we can move on. And the only reason I want to discuss it is because, like I said, we're holding ourselves accountable on this pod. First practice of fall camp, we're in there. I think there was a 15-minute window. I can't remember if it was 15 minutes or the full practice, but we're in there for 15 minutes, and I'm watching the defense. And I'm watching the defensive line drills, and I watch Tyleek Williams go down with the most big man injury in the world. And I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out on this guy. I'm out. It's over. I'm Whatever he showed as a freshman, it's just not going to pop. It's just what it is. And he's like sitting off on the side, and he's just kind of out of it for a little bit. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So the reason I brought that up is because one of the, the statistics we did was defensive tackle snap leaders. All three of us said Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton would lead this team in snaps. Tyleek Williams had 586 snaps, which was fourth on the defense total. Mike Hall had 368. He also missed, uh, missed two games. This season, while Ty Hamilton had 326 snaps this year, Nathan, I was wrong about Ty Leak Williams. Not only did he play almost 600 snaps, he probably had the best case outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. for why he deserved to be All-American status. Yeah, I, I mean, I was uh, wrong about him as well. Maybe not to that extent, but like. I, it wasn't so much that I counted him out, but I wasn't. Cer I certainly wasn't counting him in. I thought that Hall and the way that they had used Hamilton down the stretch last year was an indication of what they saw in him and what they expected from him this year. And it just seemed like Williams would be the the next guy up in the rotation, but would be more of a depth piece this year behind the the two other guys being more the front line. And very like pretty much immediately, he was like, nah. Like we're going to do this a different way. And they just couldn't take him off the field in some games. They they didn't want to take him off the field. A, a, the time that I've been here, I'm trying to think of someone making that much of a transition between 
just how much you expect of them. There aren't a lot of positions where this is true, right? Defensive line is maybe the only one where like stamina is like such a critical thing and to where you and, and the rotations and how that works. And because they're, they're not like rotating offensive linemen out because of stamina, you know what I'm saying? So like what I've never seen, it's the most transition I've seen someone make in that time to, to go from a guy that you think is maybe being held back physically to someone who is like imposing their will physically and getting him back for next year again, because he didn't like get as much um, accolades, all America lists, all big 10, that sort of thing. I thought he was underrepresented on those lists. Mm-hmm. This hasn't made the same impact nationally as some of the other announcements that'll come out for Ohio state, but having him for a fourth year after the growth he showed just between second and third year, uh, if he makes another step, it's just a, it's a massive get for Ohio State. 53 total tackles. Team high, 10, and a half, 10 tackles for loss. He tied Jack Sawyer in that category. Three sacks, five pass breakups, a fumble, and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. He recovered the fumble that was forced by Denzel Burke. A couple of things I just noticed while listening to these pods, just a couple of notes I took. Nathan, you correctly predicted that Jack and JT would just play the bulk of the snaps at defensive end this year. There was even a game against Notre Dame where they didn't come off the field, so kudos to you there. And this is a direct quote from you. If it's a 2021 version of 13 games, and they were talking about how we're prorating these things, if it's a 2021 version of 13 games, I can tell you a bunch of guys on this list that are not going to be playing in whatever bowl game Ohio State goes to more than likely. (laughs) (laughs) Things that make sense in the moment, it don't make sense yeah. long term. <laughs> but it's 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 an indication of what I what I think we didn't, you know, yeah, maybe bad call, but also like <laughs> they it's more that they're keeping that group together, right? I mean, it's more that yeah. they that whole group decided that last year was the start of something, not the end of something. And we we didn't foresee that. So um, it, it makes them a super intriguing team for next season. And for me, there are not interior de- defensive linemen anywhere playing north of 50 snaps a game. That's ridiculous. And I was talking about Mike Hall when I said that, and I'll, I'll get into more of that when we t- come back from this break. But, I mean, Tyleek Williams played north of 50 snaps a lot of times this year. So shout out to Tyleek Williams. I was wrong, and I will gladly admit I was wrong. You had a heck of a heck of a season this year we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to transition to the accolades which is us looking at who we predicted to be heisman trophy finalists which is just a laughable conversation and all americans and we'll get more into that when we come back here on buckeye talk get the text 614-350-3315 and if you do so you get a two-week free trial it's 399 after that but a two-week free trial to laugh at me every single day and you can laugh at nathan and you can laugh at andrew as well because here are our heisman trophy finalists this year for me, I had Quinn Ewers winning the award, Kyle McCord being second, and Caleb Williams being third. Nathan, you had Jordan Travis being number one, Caleb Williams number two, Drake May number three. Mr. Gillis, you had Quinn Ewers at number one, Caleb Williams at number two, and Sam Hartman at number three. The actual list, Jaden Daniels won the thing. Michael Penix Jr. came in second, Bo Nix came in third, and Marvin Harrison Jr., came in fourth and the reason i bring up marvin harrison jr 
is because we had a whole section on that pod talking about all the reasons why Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist, Andrew. And yet, lo and behold, he's the one that gets to New York. <laughs> I, I, that was, I mean, I will give ourselves credit. We were way off, but I want to meet the person who said that Jaden Daniels was going to be a Heisman, can't, a Heisman winner with Bo Nix and Michael Penix right there with him. So I I don't know. I feel better about that one than I felt about some other ones that we've had. Yeah, Nathan, I don't. I don't because none of my picks even got close to sniffing the Heisman Trophy finalist conversation. I don't feel like I was that far off on Jordan Travis. He was so good that when he got hurt, they yeah. wouldn't let Florida State in the playoff. Well, right. let him we'll, in anyway. We'll, we'll, we'll give you that one. They will, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the Jordan I, Travis one. I mean, if he had finished the season and they had gone thirteen and zero, I, I think he would have been a Heisman Trophy finalist. Yeah, that's he'd have gotten in over Marvin Harrison. I Jr. think so. for sure. I think so. I, I think there's a good chance. So, I'm just I'm just saying. Anyway, I mean, I, listen, I will say this though, Andrew, we were on pace with Quinn after the Bama game, and then he got hurt and. Texas lost to Oklahoma, so it kind of the first, know, took the steam out of the boat. So we did. We won a September uh, Heisman. I was gonna say I looked like a genius for the first four weeks because yes. Caleb was obviously shredding, and Quinn Ewers just walked into Bama and beat Alabama, and Sam Hartman was throwing for like four hundred and fifty yards a game. I looked like a genius. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not even gonna allow you to put. Sam I understand. Hartman in no, I'm just saying. And then it all died. Because Notre Dame's offense wasn't very good this year. Um, and then Quinn Ewers got hurt. And Caleb Williams was, I mean, USC just kind of had Alex Grinch as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, but I mean, and, and like, that's the thing, though. I kind of picked Caleb Williams with that in mind. So I'm not going to give myself an out on that one of like, ah, you know, Alex Grinch just kind of tanked everything. Because I looked at it and was like, USC is going to have to win every single game that they play like 52 to 45. Like there's no way that they're going to do this. And that's why I thought Caleb Williams was going to be back in the Heisman candidacy one, because I think he's awesome. But two, because I was like, he's going to have to score a bunch of points anyway. And people are going to take notice of that. So I, I, I baked that in. So I'm not going to give myself credit for saying like, ah, Alex Grinch ruined it. No, I, I figured that that was going to happen. And it, it went even more off the rails than I thought it could. Direct quote from Stephen Means on the All-American pod. This might be the best offense in the country, and we're sitting here saying there are only going to be two All-Americans off of. Is that bad? Stephen asked Nathan about the offense that is supposed to be the best offense in the country. We all picked Marvin Harrison Jr. to be All-American again, and he was. He was a unanimous All-American, once again, first time in Ohio State history, that they've had a guy be back-to-back unanimous all-Americans, Melitnikoff winner, Heisman Trophy finalist, number 18 in your in your program, number one in your hearts, and number one on your Mount Buckmore, if you listen to that Mount Rushmore podcast we did earlier this season. He's the only one we were right about. Marvin Harrison Jr. Nathan was the only Ohio State football player to get a first-team All-American vote from any of the five major All-American lists. Here are some of the other names that we thought could potentially get one. You and I both had Donovan Jackson on there under the gaze of, like, what we saw Paris Johnson do in 2022, where it's like, he might not make all of these lists, but all he's got to do is make one. And we're right. He made none of those lists. 
all three of us said Tommy Eichenberg, who didn't go on to be the Big Ten's linebacker of the year. But I think we can all agree he had a better 2022 than he'd had 2023 just overall and productively. I said my call would be one, and it was just based – I used a comparison of Jalen Carter at Georgia, how their stats were very comparable, and they're both in situations where they're rotating a lot. But it just did, never felt like my call ever reached that level he was at in 2022 to be able to do that. In fact, Tyleek Williams kind of took his spot there. And then we all had JT Tweemaloa, who – I think he had a quality year, but didn't necessarily have an All-American season. So that's a decent-sized list for all of us, and Ohio State only won All-American this season. Does that reflect this roster this year? Yeah, first-team All-American, I think maybe it did, because there's so many guys that, like, if Trevor Henderson does that for a full season, maybe he's a first-team All-American, but he missed too many games. It, it, the numbers in the number of games he played wouldn't back that up. And Tumaloau and even Tyleek, Jack Sawyer, they were guys who would put together these really impressive chunks of the season. And Tyleek, it was pretty much all season. And Sawyer and, and Tumaloau were impressive to some extent all year. Denzel Burke, it's all guys who were like very, very good. But All-American like means something, especially first team All-American like really means something. And some of the guys who had like the most reputation going in, like if Tyleek Williams had already had JT Tuomaloa's reputation and then had this season on top of it, I think he might have been a first-team yeah. All-American. But he was the one that was a little more unknown coming into the picture. And uh, Burke and Tuomaloa were the more known guys, but statistically it just doesn't look as impressive, right? And that's what people vote on. I think Burke was like, uh, on PFF grades too, was like the ninth highest graded PF cornerback uh, in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. uh, which is still pretty strong. And I, I was correcting that for the number of snaps. So it's only regular players. And number 10 on the list was Cooper DeGene, who's going to be a first round pick out of Iowa, they're, they're saying, like mid first round pick potentially. So that tells you like where he was, like in a total accomplishment. But as far as like getting the kind of stats, um, and then also like team. Team accolades mean something too. Like if they, there's a difference sometimes in the voting depending on whether you win that Michigan game or not, whether you're the team that's going on to the playoff or not. That's how it is. So a couple of Buckeyes did get second team honors with some lists. The AFCA list, JT Tremaloa was second team with the Football Writers Association of America. Tommy Eichenberg made second team. Sporting News, no, nobody, just Marvin Harrison Jr. The Walter Camp, Tyleek Williams, and Denzel Burke were both second team on that list. And then there were some other lists around the country, like the Athletic put one out on CBS Sports Bleacher Report, who had a bunch of Buckeyes in there sprinkled as well. But Marvin Harrison Jr., the only first-team All-American for Ohio State in 2023, the only guy who gets a tree just based off of those five major lists. That's the accolades portion of this. We're going to take one last break, and then we're going to get into the last part of this very laughable look back on this Market Down Monday when we were very wrong about a lot of different things. We'll get more into that, and it's college football playoff talk, and it's national championship talk when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. The college football playoff, Michigan was number one, Washington was number two, Texas was number three, Bama was number four. Nathan, I'll ask you, because you didn't have this stat, how many of those four do you think you got right? So I predicted before the season that Florida State would beat Georgia in one semifinal, and Ohio State would beat Bama in the other semifinal. So I think I had one correct. Is that right? You did. You did. You did have one correct. Correct. In fact, you had a chance to still be right, semi-right, with Florida and Georgia playing in the Orange Bowl, but then all the Florida State's guys just opted out of that game, and Georgia stopped right, them. Right. <laughs> so it didn't matter. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, Jordan Travis got getting hurt 
ruin the chance for you to get at least two of those four correctly. Andrew, how many do you think you got right? Uh, I believe just one because I believe my playoff was Ohio State, Georgia, Texas, and then Clemson. <laughs> Oops. Speaking of Clemson, Andrew, get in on this quote game. And that's why I think the demise of the Clemson Tigers has been greatly over-exaggerated. And that's why you are wrong. And I also said, I think the semifinals might not be close. They might be boring this year. And then one went to overtime and one came down to the final play of the game in the go- on a goal line situation. Yes, that is what you had, Andrew. You had Georgia at number one, Clemson at number two, Ohio State at number three, and Texas at number four. With Georgia beating Texas, Ohio State beating Clemson, and Georgia beating Ohio State. I had the same national championship outcome, and the only difference between our two college football playoff standings were I had an OSU number two and Clemson number three, but I don't, that's semantics. I mean, the point is they would have played each other in the semifinal. So between the three of us, we got two of the four teams. I don't think that's that bad. I don't think that's that bad. I think we missed the boat on the fact that Michigan was going to beat Ohio State and go on to win the national championship this year, but I don't, I don't think that's that bad for us. But as we, Head off into the offseason and we head into next season because we are now living in the 12-team playoff world. How do you think we should do this next summer? Should we predict all 12 college football playoff teams or should we just stick to the top four and just say who we think is going to get a bye? Oh, I don't know. I think 12 uh, would be a longer podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think 12 would be funnier. 12 is hard, man. It's like you're talking about having to go down to like, oh, who do you think is going to be like the – third and fourth best team in the SEC yeah. this year. And I don't know that yeah. we have that granular of a grasp on things, but at the same time, um, it's sort of like, you know, seeing the NCAA bracket at the start of the basketball tournament. And like we could do it. Mm-hmm. If we were covering a basketball team this intensely and we saw it in the, in the 64 team thing was, was in front of us or how many there are now 68, we would say, um, we could probably do a show about picking the elite eight or picking the sweet 16, right? You wouldn't necessarily like mm-hmm. go through every pick on the bracket, but I could see doing that. So football's like right in the middle of that. Um, so maybe, I don't know. We'll, we'll revisit that. I think it's going to be interesting to see if now that we're in the 12 team playoff world, people start doing what they do with the NCAA tournament where they're printing out brackets and like predicting once we get into the actual tournament of things, it's going to be a different world that we're living in going forward here where one regular season loss, maybe even two regular season losses doesn't kill your season. It just makes for a much longer year for us in a way to have to figure out how we're going to predict who is going to win a national championship because everybody has to potentially play one more game, maybe two more games, depending on your seed to be able to do that. But that's that's where we went wrong. That's where we went right. Get the text 614-350-3315. You can go laugh at us on there if you find any of this hysterical, but also you can get news. You can get information. You can get analysis. as you're listening to this pod, the the window is closing for NFL draft declarations, so we will know answers on anybody who is still left. We're just recording this on Wednesday, so there's JT Shumalo out, Jack and Jordan Hancock and Emeka Ibuka and Dravion Henderson still out there, but we'll know those, those decisions on Monday. Maybe we'll even know a couple more staff decisions as Ryan Day continues to make changes to both his defensive and offensive coaching staffs. That'll wrap up this pod for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis. I'm Stephen Means, and that. We'll Buckeye talk.